Section 11 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3. Translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Story of Abu Hassan, or The Sleeper Awakened, Part 1. In the reign of the Caliph Harun al-Rashid, there lived at Baghdad a very rich merchant, who, having married a woman advanced in years, had but one son, whom he named Abu Hassan, and educated with great restraint. When his son was thirty years old, the merchant, dying, left him his sole heir, and master of great riches, amassed together with much frugality and close application to business. Abu Hassan, whose views and inclinations were very different from those of his father, determined to make another use of his wealth, for as his father had never allowed him any money but what was just necessary for subsistence, and he had always envied those young persons of his age who wanted for nothing, and who debarred themselves from none of those pleasures to which youth are so much addicted, he resolved in his turn to distinguish himself by extravagances proportionable to his fortune. To this end he divided his riches into two parts. With one half he bought houses in town and land in the country, with a resolution never to touch the income of his real estate, which was considerable enough to live upon very handsomely, but lay it all by as he received it. With the other half, which consisted of ready money, he designed to make himself amends for the time he had lost by the severe restraint in which his father had always kept him. With this intent, Abu Hassan formed a society with youths of his own age and condition, who thought of nothing but how to make their time pass agreeably. Every day he gave them splendid entertainments, at which the most delicate viands were served up, and the most exquisite wines flowed in profusion while concerts of the best vocal and instrumental music by performers of both sexes heightened their pleasures, and this young band of debauchees, with the glasses in their hands, joined their songs with this music. These feasts were accompanied by ballets, of which the best dancers of both sexes were engaged. These entertainments, renewed every day, were so expensive to Abba Hassan that he could not support the extravagance above a year, and the great sum which he had appropriated to this prodigality and the year ended together. As soon as he had discontinued keeping this table, his friends forsook him. Whenever they saw him, they avoided him, and if by chance he met any of them and went to stop them, they always excused themselves on some pretense or other. Abu Hassan was more affected by this behaviour of his friends, who had forsaken him so basely and ungratefully, after all the protestations they had made him of inviolable attachment, than by the loss of all the money he had so foolishly squandered. He went melancholy and thoughtful, his countenance expressive of deep vexation, into his mother's apartment, and sat down on the end of a sofa at a distance from her. "'What is the matter with you, son?' said his mother, seeing him thus depressed. "'Why are you so altered, so dejected, and so different from yourself? "'You could not certainly be more concerned if you had lost all you had. "'I know you have lived very extravagantly, 
and believe all your money is spent. You have still, however, a good estate, and the reason that I did not so much oppose your irregular way of living was that I knew the wise precaution you had taken to preserve half your property. I do not, therefore, see why you should plunge yourself into this deep melancholy. At these words, Abu Hassan melted into tears, and in the midst of his sighs, he exclaimed, Ah, mother, I see at last how insupportable poverty must be. I am sensible that it deprives us of joy, as the setting of the sun does of light, as poverty makes us forget all the commendations passed upon us before our fall, it makes us endeavour to conceal ourselves, and spend our nights in tears and sorrow. In short, a poor man is looked upon, both by friends and relations, as a stranger. You know, mother, how I have treated my friends for this year past. I have entertained them with all imaginable generosity, till I have spent all my money, and now... They have left me, when they suppose I can treat them no longer. For my real estate, I thank heaven for having given me grace to keep the oath I made not to encroach upon that. I shall now know how to use what is left. But I will, however, try how far my friends, who deserve not that I should call them so, will carry their ingratitude. I will go to them, one after another, and when I have represented to them what I have done on their account, ask them to make up a sum of money to relieve me, merely to try if I can find any sentiment of gratitude remaining in them. I do not pretend, son, said Abu Hassan's mother, to dissuade you from your design, but I can tell you beforehand that you have no ground for hope. Believe me, you will find no relief but from the estate you have reserved. I see you do not but will soon know these people, who, among persons of your sort, are generally called friends, and I wish to heaven you may know it in the manner I desire, for your own good. Mother, replied Abu Hassan, I am persuaded of the truth of what you say, but shall be more certain of a fact which concerns me so nearly, when I shall have informed myself fully of their baseness and insensibility. Abu Hassan went immediately to his friends, whom he found at home, represented to them the great need he was in, and begged of them to assist him. He promised to give bonds to pay them the money they might lend him, giving them to understand at the same time that it was in a great measure on their account that he was so distressed. That he might the more powerfully excite their generosity, he forgot not to allure them with the hopes of being once again entertained in the same manner as before. Not one of his companions was affected with the arguments which the afflicted Abba Hassan used to persuade them, and he had the mortification to find that many of them told him plainly they did not know him. He returned home, full of indignation, and going into his mother's apartment said, Ah, oh, madam! You were right. Instead of friends, I have found none but perfidious, ungrateful wretches, who deserve not my friendship. I renounce them, and promise you, I will never see them more. He resolved to be as good as his word, and took every precaution to avoid falling again into the inconvenience which his former prodigality had occasioned. 
taking an oath never to give an inhabitant of Baghdad any entertainment while he lived. He drew the strong box into which he had put the rents received from his estates from the recess where he had placed it in reserve, put it in the room of that he had emptied, and resolved to take out every day no more than was sufficient to defray the expenses of a single person to sup with him, who, according to the oath he had taken, was not of Baghdad, but a stranger arrived in the city the same day, and who must take his leave of him the following morning. Conformably to this plan, Abu Hassan took care every morning to provide whatever was necessary, and towards the close of the evening went and sat at the end of Baghdad Bridge, and as soon as he saw a stranger, accosted him civilly, invited him to sup and lodge with him that night, and after having informed him of the law he had imposed upon himself, conducted him to his house. The repast with which Abu Hassan regaled his guests was not costly, but well-dressed, with plenty of good wine, and generally lasted till the night was pretty far advanced. Instead of entertaining his guests with the affairs of state, his family, or business, as is too frequent, he conversed on different agreeable subjects. He was naturally of so gay and pleasant a temper that he could give the most agreeable turns to every subject, and make the most melancholy persons merry. When he sent away his guest the following morning, he always said, God preserve you from all sorrow wherever you go. When I invited you yesterday to come and sup with me, I informed you of the law I have imposed on myself. Therefore do not take it ill if I tell you that we must never see one another again, nor drink together, either at home or anywhere else, for reasons best known to myself. So God conduct you. Abu Hassan was very exact in the observance of this oath, and never looked upon or spoke to the strangers he had once entertained. If he met them afterwards in the streets, the squares, or any public assemblies, he affected not to see them, and turned away to avoid them, that they might not speak to him, or he have any communication with them. He had acted for a long time in this manner, when, one afternoon, a little before sunset, as he sat upon the bridge according to custom, the caliph Harun al-Rashid came by, but so disguised that it was impossible to know him. For that monarch, though his chief ministers and officers of justice acquitted themselves of their duty very punctually, would nevertheless inform himself of everything, and for that purpose often disguised himself in different ways, and walked through the city and suburbs of Baghdad, sometimes one way, and sometimes another. That day, being the first of the month, he was dressed like a merchant of Mosul, and was followed by a tall, stout slave. As the caliph had in his disguise a grave and respectable appearance, Abu Hassan, who thought him to be a Mosul merchant, rose up, and after having saluted him with a graceful air, said to him, Sir, I congratulate you on your happy arrival in Baghdad. I beg you to do me the honour to sup with me, and repose yourself at my house for this night, after the fatigue of your journey. He then told him his custom of entertaining the first stranger he met with. The caliph found something so odd and singular in Abu Hassan's whim, that he was very desirous to know the cause, and told him that he could not better merit a civility 
which he did not expect as a stranger, than by accepting the obliging offer made him, that he had only to lead the way, and he was ready to follow him. Abu Hassan treated the caliph as his equal, conducted him home, and led him into a room very neatly furnished, where he set him on a sofa in the most honourable place. Supper was ready, and the cloth laid. Abu Hassan's mother, who took upon herself the care of the kitchen, sent up three dishes. The first contained a capon and four large poulets, which was set in the middle, and the second and third, placed on each side, contained one a fat roasted goose, and the other broiled pigeons. This was all, but they were good of the kind, and well flavoured, with proper sauces. Abu Hassan sat down opposite his guest, and he and the caliph began to eat heartily of what they liked best, without speaking or drinking, according to the custom of the country. When they had done eating, the caliph's slave brought them water to wash their hands, and in the meantime Abu Hassan's mother cleared the table, and brought up a dessert of all the various sorts of fruits then in season, as grapes, peaches, apples, pears, and various pastes of dried almonds, and so on. As soon as it grew dark, wax candles were lighted, and Abu Hassan, after requesting his mother to take care of the caliph's slave, set out bottles and glasses. Abu Hassan, sitting down with the pretended Mosul merchant again, filled out a glass of wine before he touched the fruit, and holding it in his hand, said to the caliph, You know, sir, that the cock never drinks before he calls to his hens to come and drink with him. I invite you to follow my example. I do not know what you may think, but for my part, I cannot reckon him a wise man who does not love wine. Let us leave that sort of people to their dull, melancholy humours, and seek for mirth, which is only to be found in a bumper. While Abu Hassan was drinking, the caliph, taking the glass that was set for him, said, You are an honest fellow. I like your pleasant temper, and expect you will fill me as much. Abu Hassan, as soon as he had drunk, filled the caliph's glass, and giving it to him, Taste this wine, sir, said he. I will warrant it good. I am well persuaded of that, replied the caliph, laughing. You know how to choose the best. Oh, replied Abu Hassan, while the caliph was drinking his glass. One need only look in your face to be assured that you have seen the world, and know what good living is. If, added he, in Arabic verse, my house could think and express its joy, how happy would it be to possess you, and bowing before you would exclaim, how overjoyed am I to see myself honoured, with the company of so accomplished and polite a personage, and for meeting with a man of your merit. The caliph, naturally fond of merriment, was highly diverted with these sallies of Abu Hassan, and artfully promoted drinking, often asking for wine, thinking that when it began to operate, he might from his talkativeness satisfy his curiosity. He asked him his name, his business, and how he spent his life. My name, sir, replied he, is Abu Hassan. I lost my father, who was a merchant of Baghdad, and though not the richest, yet lived very comfortably. When he died, he left me money enough to live free from business. But, as he always kept a very strict hand over me, 
I was willing, when he was gone, to make up for the time I thought I had lost. Notwithstanding this, continued Abu Hassan, I was more prudent than most young people who give themselves up to debauchery, without any thought, pursue it till they reduce themselves to the utmost poverty, and are forced to do penance during the rest of their lives. To avoid this misfortune, I divided what I had left me into two parts, landed estate and ready money. I destined the ready money to supply the expenses of entertaining my acquaintance. I meditated, and took a fixed resolution not to touch my rents. I associated with young people of my own age, and with my ready money, which I spent profusely, treated them splendidly every day, and in short, spared for no sort of pleasure. But this course did not last long, for by the time the year was out, I had got to the bottom of my box, and then all my table friends vanished. I made a visit to every one of them successively, and represented to them the miserable condition I was in, but none of them offered to relieve me. Upon this I renounced their friendship, and retrenched so far as to live within the compass of my income, bound myself to keep company with none but the first stranger I might meet with, coming every day into Baghdad, and to entertain him but one day and one night. I have told you the rest before, and I thank my good fortune this day for having met with a stranger of so much worth. The caliph was well satisfied with this information, and said to Abu Hassan, I cannot enough commend the measures you have taken, and the prudence with which you have acted, by forsaking your debauchery, a conduct rarely to be met with in young persons, and I esteem you the more for being steady to your resolution. It was a slippery path you trod in, and I cannot but admire your self-command that, after having seen the end of your ready money, you could so far refrain as not to enter upon your rents, or even your estate. In short, I must own, I envy your situation. You are the happiest man in the world, to enjoy every day the company of someone with whom you can discourse freely and agreeably, and to whom you give an opportunity to declare, wherever he goes, how handsome he was received by you. But we talk too long without drinking. Come, drink, and pour out a glass for me. In this manner the caliph and Abu Hassan conversed together, drinking and talking of indifferent subjects, till the night was pretty far advanced, when the caliph, pretending to be fatigued after his journey, told his host he stood in need of a little rest. But, added he, as I would not deprive you of yours on my account, before we part, because to-morrow I may be gone before you are stirring, I should be glad to show you how sensible I am of your civility, and the good cheer and hospitality you have shown me. The only thing that troubles me is that I know not which way to make you any acknowledgment. I beg of you, therefore, to let me understand how I may do it, and you shall see I will not be ungrateful, for it is impossible but a man like you must have some business, some want, or wish for something agreeable to you. Speak freely, and open your mind, for though I am but a merchant, it may be in my power to oblige you myself, or by some friend. To these offers of the caliph, Abu Hassan, taking him still for a Mosul merchant, replied, I am very well persuaded, sir, that it is not out of compliment that you make me these generous tenders, 
but upon the word of an honest man. I assure you I have nothing that troubles me, no business, nor desires, and I ask nothing of anybody. I have not the least ambition, as I told you before, and am satisfied with my condition. Therefore, I can only thank you for your obliging proffers, and the honour you have done me in condescending to partake of my frugal fare. Yet I must tell you, pursued Abu Hassan, there is one thing gives me uneasiness, without, however, disturbing my rest. You must know the town of Baghdad is divided into quarters, in each of which there is a mosque with an imam to perform service at certain hours, at the head of the quarter which assembles there. The imam of the division I live in is a surly curmudgeon, of an austere countenance, and the greatest hypocrite in the world. Four old men of this neighbourhood, who are people of the same stamp, meet regularly every day at this imam's house. There they vent their slander, calumny, and malice against me and the whole quarter, to the disturbance of the peace of the neighbourhood, and the promotion of dissension. Some they threaten, others they frighten, and in short would be lords paramount, and have every one govern himself according to their caprice, though they know not how to govern themselves. Indeed, I am sorry to see that they meddle with anything but their Koran, and will not let the world live quietly. Well, I suppose, said the caliph, you wish to have a stop put to this disorder. You have guessed right, answered Abu Hassan, and the only thing I should pray for would be to be caliph, but for one day, in the stead of our sovereign lord and master Harun al-Rashid, commander of the faithful. "'What would you do if you were?' asked the caliph. "'I would make examples of them,' answered Abu Hassan, "'to the satisfaction of all honest men. "'I would punish the four old men with each a hundred bastinados on the soles of their feet, "'and the imam with four hundred, to teach them not to disturb and abuse their neighbours in future.' "'The caliph was extremely pleased with this thought of Abu Hassan's, and as he loved adventures, resolved to make this a very singular one. "'Indeed,' said he, "'I approve much of your wish, which proceeds from an upright heart, that cannot bear the malice of such officious hypocrites. I could like to see it realised, and it is not so impossible as you may imagine. I am persuaded that the caliph would willingly put his authority for twenty-four hours into your hands.' if he knew your intentions, and the good use you would make of it. Though a foreign merchant, I have credit enough to contribute in some degree to the execution of this plan. I see, said Abu Hassan, you laugh at my foolish fancy, and the caliph himself would laugh at my extravagance if he knew it. Yet it would be a means of informing him of the behaviour of the imam and his companions, and induce him to chastise them. "'Heaven forbid,' replied the caliph, "'that I, who have been so handsomely entertained by you, should laugh at you. "'Neither do I believe, as much a stranger as I am to you, "'that the caliph would be displeased. "'But let us leave off talking. "'It is almost midnight, and time to go to bed.' "'With all my heart,' said Abu Hassan, "'I would not be any hindrance to your going to rest.' But there is still some wine in the bottle, and if you please, we will drink it off first, 
and then retire. The only thing that I have to recommend to you is that when you go out in the morning, if I am not up, you will not leave the door open, but give yourself the trouble of shutting it after you. This the caliph promised to do, and while Abu Hassan was talking, took the bottle and two glasses, filled his own first, saying, Here is a cup of thanks to you, and then filling the other, put into it artfully a little opiate powder, which he had about him, and giving it to Abu Hassan, said, You have taken the pains to fill for me all night, and it is the least I can do to save you the trouble once. I beg you to take this glass. Drink it off for my sake. Abba Hassan took the glass, and to show his guest with how much pleasure he received the honour, drank it off at once, but had scarcely set the glass upon the table when the powder began to operate. He fell into so sound a sleep, and his head knocked against his knees so suddenly, that the caliph could not help laughing. The caliph commanded the slave he had brought with him, who entered the room as soon as he had supped, and had waited to receive orders, to take Abu Hassan upon his back and follow him, but to be sure to observe the house, that he might know it again. In this manner the caliph, followed by the slave with his sleeping load, went out of the house, but without shutting the door after him, as he had been desired, went directly to his palace, and, by a private door into his own apartment, where the officers of his chamber were in waiting, whom he ordered to undress Abu Hassan, and put him into his bed, which they immediately performed. The caliph then sent for all the officers and ladies of the palace, and said to them, I would have all those whose business it is to attend my levy wait to-morrow morning upon the man who lies in my bed, pay the same respect to him as to myself, and obey him in whatever he may command. Let him be refused nothing that he asks, and be addressed and answered as if he were the commander of the faithful. In short, I expect that you attend to him as the true caliph, without regarding me, and disobey him not in the least circumstance. The officers and ladies, who understood that the caliph meant to divert himself, answered by low bows, and then withdrew, every one preparing to contribute to the best of their power to perform their respective parts adroitly. The caliph next sent for the grand vizier. Jaffier, said he, I have sent for you to instruct you, and to prevent your being surprised to-morrow when you come to audience at seeing this man seated on my throne in the royal robes. Accost him with the same reverence and respect as you pay to myself. Observe and punctually execute whatever he bids you do, the same as if I commanded you. He will exercise great liberality, and commission you with the distribution of it. Do all he commands, even if his liberality should extend so far as to empty all the coffers in my treasury and remember to acquaint all my emirs and the officers without the palace, to pay him the same honour at audience as to myself, and to carry on the matter so well that he may not perceive the least thing that may interrupt the diversion which I design myself. After the Grand Vizier had retired, the Caliph went to bed in another apartment, and gave Mesrur 
the chief of his eunuchs, the orders which he was to execute, that everything should succeed as he intended, so that he might see how Abu Hassan would use the power and authority of the caliph for the short time he had desired to have it. Above all, he charged him not to fail to awaken him at the usual hour, before he awakened Abu Hassan, because he wished to be present when he arose. Misrur failed not to do as the caliph had commanded, and as soon as the caliph went into the room where Abu Hassan lay, he placed himself in a little raised closet, from whence he could see all that passed. All the officers and ladies who were to attend Abu Hassan's levy went in at the same time, and took their posts according to their rank, ready to acquit themselves of their respective duties, as if the caliph himself had been going to rise. As it was just daybreak, and time to prepare for the morning prayer before sunrise, the officer who stood nearest to the head of the bed put a sponge steeped in vinegar to Abu Hassan's nose, who immediately turning his head about, without opening his eyes, discharged a kind of phlegm, which was received in a little golden basin before it fell on the carpet. This was the usual effect of the caliph's powder, the sleep lasting longer or shorter, in proportion to the dose. When Abu Hassan laid down his head on the bolster, he opened his eyes, and by the dawning light that appeared, found himself in a large room, magnificently furnished, the ceiling of which was finely painted in arabesque, adorned with vases of gold and silver, and the floor covered with a rich silk tapestry. He saw himself surrounded by many young and handsome ladies, many of them having instruments of music in their hands, and black eunuchs, richly clothed, all standing with great modesty and respect. After casting his eyes on the covering of the bed, he perceived it was cloth of gold, richly embossed with pearl and diamonds, and near the bed lay on a cushion a habit of tissue, embroidered with jewels, with a caliph's turban. At the sight of these glittering objects, Abu Hassan was in the most inexpressible amazement, and looked upon all he saw as a dream, yet a dream he wished it not to be. So, said he to himself, I am caliph. But, added he, recollecting himself, it is only a dream, the effect of the wish I entertained my guest with last night. And then he turned himself about, and shut his eyes to sleep. At the same time, the eunuch said very respectfully, Commander of the Faithful, it is time for your majesty to rise to prayers. The morning begins to advance. These words very much surprised Abu Hassan. Am I awake, or do I sleep? said he to himself. Ah, certainly I am asleep, continued he, keeping his eyes shut. There is no reason to doubt of it. Immediately the eunuch, who saw he had no inclination to get up, said again, Your Majesty must permit me to repeat once more that it is time to rise to morning prayer, unless you choose to let it pass. The sun is just rising, and you never neglect this duty. I am mistaken, said Abu Hassan immediately. I am not asleep, but awake. For those who sleep do not hear, and I hear somebody speak to me. Then, opening his eyes again, he saw plainly by broad daylight 
what he had seen but indistinctly before, and starting up with a smiling countenance, like a man overjoyed at sudden promotion. The caliph, from his recess, penetrated his thoughts with great delight. The young ladies of the palace now prostrated themselves with their faces to the ground before Abu Hassan, and those who had instruments of music in their hands wished him a good morrow by a concert of soft flutes, hautboys, theorbos, and other harmonious instruments, with which he was enchanted, and in such an ecstasy that he knew not whether he was himself. But reverting to his first idea, he still doubted whether what he saw and heard was a dream or reality. He clapped his hands before his eyes, and, lowering his head, said to himself, What means all this? Where am I? And to whom does this palace belong? What can these eunuchs, handsome well-dressed officers, beautiful ladies, and musicians mean? How is it possible for me to distinguish whether I am in my right senses or in a dream? When he took his hands from his eyes, opened them, and lifted up his head, the sun shone full in at the chamber window, and at that instant Mesrur, the chief of the eunuchs, came in, prostrated himself before Abu Hassan, and said, Commander of the faithful, your majesty will excuse me for representing to you that you used not to rise so late, and that the time of prayer is over. If your majesty has not had a bad night, it is time to ascend your throne and hold a council as usual. All your generals, governors, and other great officers of state wait your presence in the council hall. End of section 11